we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Howdy, and welcome to the Nonsense Bazaar. We're your hosts. I'm Willow Truman. I'm Sequoia Kennedy. And today, we're doing a very dreamy episode. Excellent. Yes. Uh, I feel comfortable assuming that probably everyone listening is familiar with shock therapy. (laughs) Every week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we provide. No, you're imagining it now. Maybe you saw it in a movie one like A Beautiful Mind or Return to Oz. In your mind's eye, there's a person strapped to a table with electrodes attached to their head, maybe some drool coming out of their mouth. Fuck yeah, let's go. Yeah, that's not an inaccurate image. (laughs) And um, controversial as it may be, it is a method of treatment still utilized today for patients whose mental disorders are treatment resistant. But where did it originate? I'm so glad I asked myself that question so I could guide us into what today's topic is. So does is. does that imply that shock therapy is not a treatment? No, it is. Because it's treatment resistant. Well, it's given to people who everything else has failed. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I was just making a joke about it not really being a treatment, but well, actually just putting fucking electricity into your brain. No, really, it's that's the controversial part. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Like, what is that really doing? We're gonna be going right over now. For example, like I feel like it might be able to fix me. Yes. Just like a million volts right to the dome. Well, that's the problem. It'll get rid of your um, like bad memories, but it'll get yeah. rid of your good memories too. Yeah, fuck it. Like you might not know who your mom is. Oh, that's not, that wouldn't be good. Yeah. Fuck. I know. That really is like a monkey's it's paw a situation. Shoot. It is. <laughs> We're going to be going over some case studies contained in a book called Onirophrenia by Ladislas J. Maduna, a Hungarian neurologist and the pioneer of convulsive therapy. Of course his fucking name is Ladislas. Yes. So even though he's the pioneer of convulsive therapy or shock therapy, one could argue that its roots stretch back even further to Luigi Galvani's, you know, experiments on frogs back in the I late don't, 1700s. I don't know. Oh, well, now you know. <laughs> That's not what we're here to talk right. about. <laughs> I'll look that up in my own time. Onirophrenia was published by the University of Illinois Press in 1950, and while you can still find a copy to purchase easily enough, it remains a rather obscure book in that Onirophrenia simply isn't talked about much these days. It never cemented itself in the DSM as an official disorder, but essentially what it is is a state where a person is confused about whether they're in reality or whether they're in a dream. They don't know the dis- the distinction anymore. It's very blurry. Mm. And if, if you've ever been there, you know that it's not fun to stay too long. I think I've been there my whole life. Yeah. To be perfectly honest. I'm like, I'm never quite sure. Am know? I awake or asleep right now? Does it matter? Does is that it? a useful question is what I always come back to. Mm-hmm. Well, many of the individuals mentioned in this book, like, straight up got trapped in that place. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It sounds to me kind of like being on a permatrip. Yeah. Yeah. And that's 
why I enjoyed this book. I found it compelling for the same reason that I enjoy reading like psychedelic trip reports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The experiences of these patients reminded me a lot of what people endure under the influence of like Datura, LSD. And it was also interesting to learn about how Ladislaus Maduna attempted to treat these patients with what at the time were newfangled methods. And in some cases, the treatments were successes, but they also accidentally discovered how to eternal sunshine of the spotless mind people. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm very eager to get into this book, but first yeah, I'm, I'm let's interested. do what we do. Pull a tarot card. Let's. I pulled the four of cups. I fucking hate that card. <laughs> I think of all the cards in the deck. It's a very cheeky card. When, it feels like it's calling me out. When that, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when that, when that one comes up, it's just like, it's always so fucking accurate and it's just not a good time. It's not as shockingly bad as like a 10 swords or even a, a five swords, you know? Yeah. It's not an eight of cups. It's not a, it's not five of cups. All those aren't so consistent, though. Four of Cups always sucks every fucking time. Right. I got beef with that, Gart. <laughs> I, I have theories about how it factors into this episode, but I'll save it until the end, because that's when we talk about it. You're not that confident, though, are you? I'm kind of confident. Because right, I... Uh... To me, it, it represents um, how medicine deals with psychological ailments. I see, I was I was thinking I was thinking of in the uh I was thinking of the fours are about like a structure, like a walls. It's um it's a number you can't make a magic square out of. Mm-hmm. Um and it's like someone not wanting to be woken up. Yeah. Which is a very cups thing. Like dreams are a very cups thing. Water. It's like a oh, they're just in there and you know you could wake them the fuck up, but it's just not happening. Right. Maybe I'll cut this now, but that's that's what the four cups makes me think of. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. Yeah. Dream, 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 dream when I want you in my arms when I want you and all your charms. So let's learn a little bit about the author of this book. Okay, first of all, there's a legitimate practice in medicine of using one disease to treat another disease. For example, the discovery of malarial therapy for neurosyphilis. From the 1920s until the 1950s, before the introduction of penicillin, malaria-induced fevers would be used as a treatment for neurosyphilis because the fevers would kill the bacteria that were causing the infection. It's hardcore. Um, yeah. Yeah. Glad we found something better than that. Although at the time, I'm glad they figured that out. Yeah. It's, it's fucking hard. Stepping stones. Yeah, stepping yeah, yeah. Stones. Just cook it out of them. Right. <laughs> now, what if you could use epilepsy to treat schizophrenia? I don't think the mechanics are the same 
Well, <laughs> in 1934, that's exactly the idea that this Hungarian dude, Ladislas J. Maduna, had after looking at some dead people's brains and noticing that there were greater neuroglia concentrations on brain sections from patients who had had epilepsy compared to patients who had schizophrenia who had a distinct lack of glia. Mm. What is uh, glia? Yeah. They're... Um, there's cells found in the central nervous system, like in the brain and spinal cord. They don't produce electrical impulses, but they make up a lot of your neural tissue. Do they receive electrical? Are they like I'm not receivers? Sure. Yeah. Okay. They maintain homeostasis, form a myelin, and provide support and protection for neurons. Okay. okay. Yeah. So they're they're like a supporter. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know what accounts for that discrepancy, but based on these glia findings, Maduna thought that schizophrenia and epilepsy must be opposite conditions, and therefore a little bit of epilepsy might be good for the schizophrenic. Maybe the lack of glia is what was causing their neurological impairments. Maybe they just needed some more of that nice supportive uh, connecting cells. I don't know. I mean, it's a... You know what? We I, still I can do, see the logic. Yeah, I do too. Like we still don't know what the fuck a schizophrenia is. No, you know? I don't know what's so, going like, on. I, I get it. Yeah. So how do you go about that? How do you make someone epileptic? Well, a few medication-induced seizures, and perhaps God. the patient would be good as new. It it was worth a shot. Was it? Literally, he began injecting patients. God damn it! Shooting them up with now, amphor. I. <laughs> That is what I would expect from someone named Ladislas. Does that make me a racist? That's anti-Hungarian. But you know what I'm saying, though. <laughs> no, I do. There's a type. There's a type to these mad scientists. There, there is. Mm. So who is this dude? Where'd he come from? What's his background? Well, Maduna was born in Budapest, Hungary on March 27th, 1896 to Francis. Francis and Gisela Maduna. I love the name Gisela. I've used it in many uh, Crusader Kings campaign, but not spelled the same way. He grew up in relative middle class comfort during the waning years of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. I feel like Gisela just means jizz girl. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. In 1914, he began studies at the Royal University of Science in Budapest, but left a year later to serve in the army of the Austro-Hungarian Empire as World War One was happening. Fuck yeah. Yeah, he then served on the Italian front and then went back to his studies at the war's end in 1918. Three years later, he got his medical degree and he began specialty training in neurology. Then he accepted a teaching position at the Budapest Inter-Academic Institute for Brain Research. So he's doing like, he's looking at people's brains and stuff. So he saw a bunch of horror yeah true horror true horror and then went to look at a bunch of people's brains why is the why are we like this yeah why do we do the things we do yeah what horrors lurk within the mind of man <laughs> yeah like literally yeah he began researching disorders of the pineal gland god damn it we just talked about that last week well it is it is a mysterious yeah. gland so that's the endocrine gland that you know it, it plays a role in human sexual development at puberty and it also produces melatonin, you know, helps us regulate our sleep patterns. Yeah. As, yeah. As we mentioned last week, it's funny that it comes up again. Yeah. We are talking about the brain. And if you want better sleep, you know what helps produce melatonin? Darkness. 
Yeah. Darkness produces melatonin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 1927, he began a new position as associate professor at the University of Budapest Clinic for Mental and Nervous Diseases. He became intrigued by this idea of clinical psychology, because remember, this is a time when that was an emergent field. Like, right, yeah. The idea of studying the mind and the brain was all kind of new. Being able to get into the brain and tweak it, cl- right. clinical aspect of, of psychology. Yeah, like that's super new. So he begins sitting in on autopsies conducted on recently deceased clinic patients, and that's how he discovers the whole glia thing, is like looking at these brains. Yeah. Um, that's how I thought he did it. Yeah. (laughs) That's like the most interesting game of spot the differences ever. You know, in like Highlights magazine. Yeah, yeah. They have like, you know, find the differences. But just doing that with like... Two dead people? Yeah. (laughs) Taking little bits of their brain and putting it under a microscope. Being like, all right, let's see. Ah, this one's got a lot less of those little spidery looking things in it. There's two different kinds of crazy. Yeah. Let's see what that looks like. All right. Maduna conducted his first experiments in inducing seizures on animals before people, you know, as scientists are prone to do. And he used camphor dissolved in oil. What is camphor? Camphor is a chemical that can be made from the bark and wood of the camphor tree. Yeah. Or from turpentine oil. Okay, yeah. It can be used to treat cough, pain, and itching, but it is unsafe when taken by mouth or skin. Yeah. It looks kind of like little sugar cubes or something. All right, it's got a musty aroma, a penetrating musty aroma. That's my favorite type. Yeah, I think it was like used in like original like fixed vapor rub and shit. Mm. Or like had that same, a similar uh, function. So he's injecting that in animals. You know, just wants to see if Fuck, it works. Yeah. Can this induce a seizure and will they live after? Yeah. It'll do something. Okay, cool. He injects his first human patient on January 23rd, oh, 1934. Sick. Yes. Awesome. This takes place at Budapest State Hospital. The 33-year-old male patient had been at the institution for three years after he had began to hear voices that he claimed came from inside of his ears as well, of his, as, well as his stomach. So we just inject him with camphor? You know, he was there for three years. To make him have seizures? If your stomach doesn't stop talking to you for three years, you're getting the camp for. I don't think that's that bad, though. I don't know. That Um, doesn't sound that bad. He also believed, oh my God, this is, this is fucking crazy. When he was out in public, he believed that people were waving at him. I do that. You know, if somebody's like waving or like. Yeah, dude, someone, you wave back, you realize you don't know him and you feel like such a fucking dumbass. Like, I don't know why they're waving at me, but maybe I just don't recognize them. I mean, it sounds like maybe he like was like coming home and being like, everyone's right, raving no, at me. It's, but like, even still. Just, I, I need more details. It's not the worst that, delusion I've ever heard of. Right. If that's just in the file as like why he's crazy, that's not enough. Why we need to give him seizures. Right. Yeah, um, that's. So he, this it is why. He killed me. This is why he needed <laughs> uh, the seizures. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is, yeah. He spent all. <laughs> All of 1933 in his bed under the covers. Okay, yeah, totally maybe catatonic. Just maybe we not... gotta wake him up a bit. Yeah, shake him, shake him loose. No, it's true. So Maduna's like, well, he's not moving anyway. He doesn't really seem he's not moving. He's not talking. Let's do it. Inject him, and then they do this six times over 18 days. And what do you know? On the morning of February 10th, the patient spontaneously arose from bed, was lively, spoke. 
and asked for something to eat. This worked? He was interested in everything going on around him, asked about his illness, and realized that he had been sick. He asked how long he'd been in the hospital, and we told him that he'd been there for four years. He couldn't believe it. It worked? It worked. They zapped him out of it. I'm so pissed. I'm so upset that that worked. Like I said, it's a crapshoot. Sometimes it works, sometimes it eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Yeah, but like now I'm tempted to go fucking lick a car battery. <laughs> well, <laughs> just wait on that. Okay. Following the treatment with Camphor, the man actually escaped from the Budapest State Hospital and returned home to find that the cousin who had been living with his wife was actually not related to her at all. Not her cousin, her lover. Mm. He beats up this cousin, kicks him out of the house, and then proceeds to beat up his wife, telling her that he would rather be at the state mental hospital where at least there was peace and honesty. Well, that's not good. No. That's not good at all. It makes wanna... you wonder, what drove this man crazy to begin with? Maybe he was an asshole in the first place. It's true. But like, you know, I mean, I imagine it's a shock. Like, you realize you've been in a hospital. You got a liar of a wife, though. He doesn't, though. But like, I imagine he's woken up. Like, it feels like a nap to him. It's true. Do you know what I mean? And his wife's fucking Although, other dude. Okay. In so her he's... mind, she's moved on. It's I know. Been he's years. been gone for three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, so imagine like your husband's gone for three years. You think that he's, he's totally lost it. And then all of a sudden, like, he... They inject him with some shit. <laughs> he just shows up one day and beats up your boyfriend. Yeah. And he's like, honey, I'm home. Who the fuck is this? Oh, it's my cousin. You know, like, Jesus, wow. I can see it. I can see how that was a messy situation. It's a, it's, he, nobody won there. Physical violence is never justified. No. That's the part I have problem with, but I understand how the situation spun out of control. Yeah. I'm not going to place blame on anybody, but you don't go around hitting people. Nope. <laughs> that's my re that's that's my judgment on it. I mean, what did he expect? It had been years. He intellectually knew that, but he didn't yeah, feel that. No, it's an, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He was gone for those years. But okay, so the fact that they had just gotten this man out of catatonia itself, this like state of basically like you're a robot that's been shut off. Yeah. You know, people yeah, will yeah, hold yeah. themselves in odd positions. That's so crazy. Just for hours and hours on end, just looking at the wall or just like I actually nothing. like honestly though, the idea of just shaking it loose makes sense. Yeah, just a little brain zap. Because like, like all right, if it's like wake this, it up. If it's this loop that's just gotten It's caught, like um right? when you when your computer is malfunctioning and you're like, uh, I should just turn it off and then back on again. Yeah, basically. Yeah, because it's it's stuck in a yeah. a glitch, a loop. Right. So this exit from a catatonic state had only occurred through two other forms of treatments like in the past. So this whole idea of injecting people with uh, medications to make them functionally have an overdose and seizure was kind of new, but it, it was better than what had come before it. Before that, there was insulin coma therapy, which is now where that shit. Yeah. No good. Not at all. That's where schizophrenics were given high doses of insulin to produce convulsions and then a state of coma. And that yeah. was pioneered in Vienna, Austria by Dr. Manfred Sackel. Okay, so there's a real good reason I have, like, beef with Hungarian with names. With an, an association <laughs> with that part of the world with this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's where it comes from. Right. 
Um, insulin coma therapy is hardcore. Yeah, man. It's really fucking scary and unpleasant. That's uh, that's what happened to Towns Van Sant. Yeah. Yeah, like he was. I think also I, John Nash. Oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. But Towns, I mean, he was. Uh, uh, if you don't know Towns Van Sant, I do. I know you do. Yeah. The listener, if you don't know Towns Van Sant, he's one of the greatest uh, songwriters of all time. Oh, like, uh, yeah, just top. Top fucking songwriters of all fucking time. Outlaw country dude from uh, mostly it was 70s to 90s. That's when he was active. And uh, it'll break your heart. It's the some of the best shit ever. Anyway, he I, I believe it was depression that he was given insulin shock therapy for. And it gave him permanent brain damage. Mm-hmm. And the only piece he could find from that was uh, alcohol. And that's what led to his death. Yeah. And it was like 50s and shit. It's a really tragic story. In an indirect way, I would say that um, shock therapy also contributed to Hemingway's death because he lost his ability to write. Did he? Yeah. No shit. Like it really messes with you as a person. Once you start yeah. to like lose your memories, like say you <laughs> say you had just gone to college for like two years, spent a bunch of money on your tuition, and then you end up in the psych ward and get some shock therapy. Goodbye, college. It's it's oh, functionally yeah. like you yeah, didn't yeah, even yeah. go. Yeah. You know? That's crazy, man. I mean, I, I'm sure they have different ways of doing it now. I'm sure like electroconvulsive therapy is No, it's less... still a crapshoot. Really? There are a lot of risks involved, but now there's informed consent where like people actually have like the choice Ooh, if they uh you just take some fucking mushrooms holy yeah. shit what are you doing no for real though <laughs> it'll shake you like you can shake yourself in other ways yes there's risks lower though mm-hmm. a lot lower now before there was insulin coma therapy there was something called sleep therapy where patients were just given heavy doses of barbiturates for up to nine days in a row of course that came with risks of death from circulatory collapse so that was done away with so, yeah, oddly enough, this whole camphor injection thing was a step up from what they were doing. Still not great. Now, the camphor technique was proven to be effective, but also inefficient because the seizures would take up to an hour to begin, during which time the patients would feel a profound sense of terror leading up to the seizure. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. However, Maduna believed that it was perhaps this fear and terror and like near-death experience that would lead to the spontaneous recovery of the patient. But again, not very nice to do, took a long time. And also after patients had been through one treatment, it was hard to get them back for their second treatment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they would have to be uh, forcibly held down. Not great. So in an attempt to make things slightly better, he switched from camphor to metrazole, which sold under the brand name Cargizole in Europe at the time as a circulatory and respiratory stimulant. It had some benefits over camphor, whose intramuscular injections were painful and would sometimes even induce vomiting, you know, during the like 45 minutes to an hour of impending doom and terror that led up to this inevitable seizure. Yeah. Yeah, not great. Metrazole had similar disadvantages, too, because... Because it, too, would cause extreme distress for patients before they lost consciousness. And treatments were also described as being stressful for the professionals having to perform them. So it's stressful for the patients and for the people having to do it. Yeah, because they're not making the rules. Yeah. Aversion to second doses were so strong that patients often would have to be restrained by force, like I said. And another drawback to metrazole was that the convulsions couldn't be halted. 
in any way. So once they were going, they were going. During insulin coma therapy, there was at least a saline solution that could be given to like reverse the shock. Therefore, there wouldn't be these violent convulsions. But during the metrazole seizures, sometimes people would have spinal fractures because seizures are intense. They're literally having seizures and nobody thought to start strapping these patients down until like five years after they started doing this. Now, you know, I don't um, just make sure I uh, don't get misconstrued for trying to break my own back in feigning disgust for this. So let me just be very clear. <laughs> First against the fucking wall. Yeah. I would, I would like to kill the but people. But it's in the name of science. They're trying you. to help people. First against the fucking wall. Fuck you. I know. It's just, that's just such an, it's just awful. Yep. <laughs> Metrazole, by the way, would end up being like banned totally in 1982. But of course, like its use as a, a shock treatment was discontinued far before that. In the late 1930s, there was a team of Italian physicians led by Ugo Cerletti and Lucio Bini who sought to derive a method of electrical seizure induction that would have a quicker onset and less side effects. And, of course, they began by testing on dogs. God damn. A little bit of animal experimentation in the name of science. You just gotta do it. You gotta do it. First you do dogs, then you do schizophrenics, then you do prisoners, and then you roll it out on poor people. Headshots are too good for these fucks. Well, you know, there's a a natural sequence to things. I'm gonna bury them up to their heads in anthills. Yeah, just make sure you're not one of those four. Why dogs? They don't even share, like, it's not a (laughs) similar fucking mammalian brain to ours i know what the fuck you know what they were doing to these dogs too they would put they would put one electrode in the mouth and another up their ass but they found out that this would just give the dogs heart attacks so they were like oh maybe we should just put the electrodes on their brain are they just trying to kill dogs like yeah maybe you should put it on on the area that you're trying to affect why are you putting it up their butt that's so fucking i'm at least glad that they did that on dogs before they tried it on a human you know, nah, fuck that. Dogs are better. Nobody's people. putting an electrode up my butt. Dogs are better people. Not without my consent. Than people. Yeah. I mean, they shouldn't. I don't want them to do that either. But like, I'd rather I don't like if I had to choose. Yes. Man, give it to the human. Higher chance the human is sinned. Right. So these, these Italian um, <laughs> like dog testers. God damn it. <laughs> In 1938, they conduct their first human trial on this 39-year-old dude who had been found wandering in a train station in Rome. They're like, oh, this guy's schizophrenic. Let's bring him on in. And they give him an application of 110 volts of alternating currents for 0.2 seconds. And they successfully induce a seizure. Yay! Now, they administer 10 more treatments over the course of this patient's hospitalization. And it's a success. He goes back home to his wife and it goes back to his job and, oh, he's normal again. He's a functional member of society. Just needed to be zapped a few times. Yeah, he's getting his work done again. Yeah, now now go back and be a robot again. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Now, news about this technique spread rapidly through Europe and North America. What was this, 1938 Italy? Mm-hmm. It didn't come to America until 1940. <laughs> it's just a fascist-ass thing to do, man. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, that is just... You found a crazy in the train station? Bring him on in. Like, listen, listen. If you're... if You know, the, the words get fucked up these days. Like, you know, it, it's like, yeah, you call people fascists too often, calling the wrong people fascists, whatever. The reason we don't like fascists is because that's a fascist-ass thing to... Th- that was pioneered in 1930s Italy. That's a fascist ass thing to do. You know? Yeah. 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 Well, this technique 
would explode in popularity because it was found to be more effective than what they had so far for treating a variety of neurological and psychiatric conditions, mostly depression. But they also used it to treat psoriasis and ulcers because people were confused about ulcers back then. Hold up. They used electroshocks to treat ulcers? Yeah. People thought that ulcers were like caused by stress and like thinking. Well, like they are, but... Are they though? That's what I've always heard, but it's like an They're act- a bacterial infection. They can be. Yeah. But like stress doesn't help. No. I think stress I mean, does actually true. I think stress does actually cause ulcers, but it's just like a acidic wearing away of the lining in your Well, you're gonna need to get zapped for that. Why? <laughs> they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. And we still don't. I guess they thought stress was just confined to the brain. Yeah. Or like didn't really yeah. So the 1970s is about like when the whole anti-psychiatry movement um, starts to take form. I'm starting to understand why. Mm-hmm, shock therapy <laughs> falls out of favor with the general public. But like I said, it, it's still around today because for some people, it's a miracle cure. Remember, this is reserved for cases where nothing else has worked. Nowadays, that's what it is reserved for right so we're talking about people with like severe treatment resistant depression who have nothing left to lose and would probably end up either institutionalized for the rest of their life because they can't do anything because they're so depressed or killing themselves so it's like sure i guess shock me let's see what happens like i understand the impulse right yeah and for some people um that works out great for other people it doesn't i want to listen to some negative testimonials of shock therapy and then some positive ones yeah and then we're going to go into the case studies in yeah, the book. Yeah, yeah. but i just wanted us to have a basis for like what in induction of seizures like does to people no i think that's uh yeah it's a good thing to see all right yeah so let's listen to some negative testimonials it wasn't until i was at shoal creek that i saw a psychiatrist And little did I know after I signed myself in freely that I couldn't leave for 72 hours. I wouldn't leave my room. I couldn't be around other people. I was terrified. And every time I went for another treatment of ECT, I got more and more paranoid. My head was exploding for days. I couldn't do anything but fall on the bed and sleep for 16 hours or something. I'd have to write everything down and then remember where I wrote it. My family would tell me, look at your book, look at your book. I had to carry this book around with me all the time. My first service dog I got because if I left the apartment to go check the mail, I would get lost. I couldn't remember the number of the apartment. I'd just wander around. When I applied for disability, I had to go to the office and take some kind of test. I couldn't tell them my name. I couldn't tell them where I lived. I couldn't tell them how to get to my house. I couldn't tell them the president. I couldn't tell them anything. And my older sister told me that they asked her, is she like this all the time? And she said, pretty much. Mm Mm-hmm. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. And of course, if you were forcibly given shock therapy... No fucking shit your, like, psychosis symptoms would get worse. And if they weren't present before, they might become present. Yeah. God damn. Right. So that's just one. Um, But like I said, we're going to balance this out with positive ones, too, because there's varied experiences when it comes to ECT. Do we want the negative one? The second negative one? Yeah. Or should we go negative, positive, negative, positive? I think we should go double negative and then. Okay. I'll just I'll just swap it around. 
like the talking versus the i have side effects of ect i am currently suffering from severe memory loss um, i don't remember anything that happened in january or in february um, i i remember most of march but apparently while i was in the hospital i had tons and tons and tons of people visiting me in the hospital and I had a bunch of different roommates and I I don't I don't remember I don't remember you know I I I, I don't remember seeing them during the month of March um, while I was in the hospital I didn't have a roommate I was isolated um, because my nurses you know d d decided to isolate me and, and you know keep me you know, alone and on a one-to-one. -one. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, just wiped out like two months of her memory. That's insane. Right? Oh, it's awful. Now let's listen to some positive testimonials. As if this is like a product that you're going to buy. Yeah, right. ECT definitely saved my life. I was depressed. There were times where I was This feels like propaganda. It was only a matter of time before I acted on the suicidal thoughts I was having. We had tried so many different types of therapy, so many different types of medications. It's always like, take this for six weeks and then we'll see if it's having an effect. You don't want to wait six weeks. Going through ECT, it's like living <laughs> colorblind, and suddenly you can see colors. Because of all the movies I had seen, I, it, it, was, propaganda. it was like yes. paddles. Right wow. <laughs> Life before ECT was like living in black and white. That's insane. Now, dude. I'm in the land of Oz and everything is Technicolor. It's from Hackensack Meridian Health. Like they're trying to sell their services. I know. Well, and it's funny. She brings up a point, which is a great point. Um, the thing about psychiatric treatment that sucks is that when you're given these pills, yeah, it takes about six to eight weeks to feel a difference. And in the interim, you're checking yourself for, am I experiencing side effects? How is this impacting my sleep? How is this impacting my mood? Like you're constantly self-monitoring. You know what? And oftentimes it doesn't even help. And then you have to hop to the next one. So it's like there's another month of your life that's been stolen to depression. So you're like, fuck it, whatever. Put the paddles on my head. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say that, you know, mushrooms are a miracle cure or anything they certainly help though but what i'm gonna say is maybe there should, should be since all these other fucking treatments including ssris you know have some pretty bad chances of side effects they too. all have risks perhaps maybe perhaps mushrooms should be the, the first line treatment maybe we try that first and if that doesn't work we can move to more damaging things with higher risks of adverse effects maybe just eat some fucking mushrooms first <laughs> yes all right when the we next get, positive testimony. When we get to a place where that's a reasonable thing to say, that's when I'll know we've been all, we're, we're going to be all right. Uh-huh. <laughs> my name's Rich, and uh, I've battled depression. It's going to do the life. same thing, isn't it? I was still <laughs> able to succeed in the things that I pursued, having worked for a global company and traveled the world for them. At the time, I had my depression in 2019. The month before that, I was awarded the field service engineer of the year. He was overworked, distressed, kept him from sleeping. 
and sleep deprivation caught up with him. And once you mix sleep deprivation with someone who is prone to depression, you're gonna get a situation that's exactly what, what we got. He had a full nervous breakdown. We went to see our psychiatrist, tried a lot of different drugs, it didn't work. And finally he said, you know what, I think he should try ECT at Medical City Green Oaks. He was Son terrified. Of a bitch. I was just terrified. both just commercials he was for so these sick. like He was pretty much doing what anybody told him to. Yeah. Go here and go here. Son of a bitch, dude. Are you kidding me? No, like me? I'm so glad that I worked for these people, but also Did it? Did it? Fucking did it? I mean, they That dude was just sad. Believe in it. That dude was just sad. Now he talks weird. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know if it worked. <laughs> you know. I think maybe that dude should have eaten some fucking mushrooms and gone into the woods. You know what I'm saying? And that might have helped. It might have fucking, might have worked. All right, now we're going to get into some case studies, finally. Now, as per this book and Maduna's um, definitions, there are two types of onirophrenia. There is simple onirophrenia, which this is where the afflicted is such that it still permits the patient to recognize the pathological nature of the process, even though the central representations of media mediators of the extra receptors are more affected than those of the proprietor receptors. This means, so he's not projecting his disturbance onto the outside world. He recognizes that the change has been within himself, not okay. the outside world, okay, that there's okay. something wrong with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's deliroid onirophrenia, which is where the it's more cloudy. Um, the patients project their troubles onto the outside world, experiencing it as if everything is a staged, unreal product or like a fantastic dream or a terrifying nightmare, and it's external. So it's whether or not the patient recognizes that it's internal or they've completely lost the boundary and they now believe that they are in a dream. So case number one is of MK. This is an 18-year-old boy, one of several children, an honor student and athlete who had just graduated from high school. Now, this is like a prime time in somebody's life to experience um, abnormalities, like yeah, the first yeah, yeah. time away from home. That's when I had my first manic episode. I didn't sleep for like three weeks when I left home because I was like, oh my God, freedom. <laughs> my, my brain just went into overdrive with all this freedom. Hormonal changes and shit, those yeah. just like also provide fertile ground for that. Mm -hmm. it's gonna happen. Nobody's giving me a, a bedtime anymore. Nobody's watching over my shoulder. I can do what I want. It can really, you know, lead you to some weird places. For sure. Without any visible cause, MK became nervous at the end of January 1944 and seemed to have some difficulty in concentration. But these symptoms were so feeble, the patient's family did not notice them at all. On January 30th, the patient failed to understand his father's instructions about the family car and left it somewhere, but could not remember whether he had put it in the garage or left it on the street. The next day, he was undecided, hesitant in action, and irritable. That evening, he left for a dance. His mother was apprehensive because she had noticed signs of increased nervousness in her son. She attributed this to going to his first formal dance. He returned at 9 a.m. in a confusional state. As to what had happened during the night before, his mother thought he was drunk. She put him to bed and called his girlfriend and a schoolmate and asked her about the events of the night. The girl reported that although the boy did not drink anything, she also thought that he had seemed drunk and acted so strangely that she did not leave his side for a moment. 
From this day on, the patient became talkative. Day and night, he would talk continuously and confusedly, and his family could not understand what he said. He was apprehensive and fearful and hid when people came to the house lest they were there to kill him. He was afraid FBI agents would get him, but he could not tell why he thought so. On the fourth day, the patient had already become so withdrawn and had rapidly begun to develop catatonic symptoms. On the fifth day, he appeared so engrossed in his thoughts that a logical conversation could not be carried on. He showed a tendency to refuse food. On the sixth day, the patient was admitted to the psychiatric ward of a private hospital where he soon became mute. Maybe he's just having a fucking bad week, dude. What the fuck? Yeah, I did. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> he thought people were coming to kill him, though. I mean, but, like, been there. I was writing the book about him. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was being fucked with. What, what led up to this, though, I wonder? Like, what was the straw that broke the camel's back? Was it he just graduated from high school? What was his next move? Like, was he going off to join the army? Like, what? Dog, you got his heart broken. Come on now. We know what happened. Yeah, it was a bad, bad night at the dance. I don't you know. know what happened. Yeah. <laughs> All the usual laboratory tests of blood and spinal fluid gave normal results. Electric He's having a bad week. Now, they, they gave him some electric shock treatment, which God slowly removed the catatonic symptoms. <laughs> the patient's mutism disappeared. His confusion broke to the surface. He thought his father had lost his legs that he had landmines or hand grenades in his pockets. This doesn't sound like an improvement. Mm. Consequently, he began carrying his hands fearfully, thinking that within them was held a grenade. For five weeks, he failed to recognize who his parents were. 20 electric shock treatments cured his catatonic symptoms, which dissolved, and then his confusion was gone. <laughs> Okay. Two days later, we did not find any clouding of consciousness. But then 18 days after recovery, the patient relapsed again. <sighs> During this phase, uh, his mutism came back. His ideas were unavailable and his facial expression was frightened. He's been through some shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've had a bad couple weeks. My... God. What do you expect from this dude, man? Um, he started to recover like a month later, and then he was in excellent condition, reportedly. There's also a through line through this book where they measure the patient's blood sugar when they're in a psychotic state versus when they're feeling more normal, and That's they notice the whole there's like a difference. basis for yeah. like the insulin shock shit. Right. Yeah. So the patient recovers and explains that while he was, while he was sick... There were times where even though he was like in the hospital, he thought that he was in London and he thought that like sounds or like noises from the street were the sounds of like battle going on outside. Other times he thought that he was inside of a, a prison camp. Other times he thought he was inside a German submarine and that the doctors were actually like German officers. Look, he's not like he's poetically correct. Yes. <laughs> That's the thing about psychosis is that yeah. I remember reading one case, not in this book, but about a woman who had experienced like extreme childhood neglect and felt like her siblings were always paid more attention over her. So when she had her psychotic break, she started acting like a baby. 
And it was to get and her parents like had to baby her during that time and give her this care and attention that she like had so desperately craved. So it was like her her psychosis while she was like, you know, crazy, like, oh, she's acting like a baby. It was because there was some part of her that needed to express itself that had like been dormant for so long and just could not be ignored any longer. How about how about how about maybe maybe mushrooms shouldn't even be the first line of treatment. Maybe like understanding that like poetry is an important part of the world and that like humans are fucking weird and that right. like like we all do weird shit and maybe we should just like fucking listen to each other before, you know, juicing them up and shit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that should be the first line. Yeah. And this idea that like so when he had this hand grenade in his hand, he really felt it. But he also described that he couldn't see it, which made him even more freaked out because he could feel it in his hand. Like he knew that this grenade was there, but he couldn't see it. And to me, the grenade is almost like, what does that represent? No, it's a manifestation of force. Yeah, of like an explosion of destruction. Of yeah. like He knows that he holds within his hand the power to like, he's basically destroying his family, his reality, his or life it's, as he knows it. I wouldn't, I, I might not even take it towards destruction. It's, I think it's a poetic representation of, of force. Yes. Um, of the ability to create. Mm-hmm. There were times where he thought that he was guilty for killing the president of the United States. Well, that part's true. Yeah. <laughs> he had never even seen the president and he knew intrinsically that it couldn't be true, but he carried within him like this guilt that he must be responsible for like doing these horrible things. I, I don't have a clever workaround for that one. No. <laughs> there was also other times where he would unbutton his pants and look at his penis and he would see that it was there, but he didn't feel it. Like his eyes would tell him, I have a dick. But if he tried to like, like touch it or looked away from it, it was like the knowledge that he had a penis was gone. It was like he didn't have a penis. I mean, I'm not thinking about it all day. He said this was the worst nightmare a man could ever have. <laughs> he felt he had lost his legs his genitalia and then he also at some point completely lost his own orientation to space so it was like even though he could see his body and understand that it existed he had no connection to it like disassociation yeah except there i don't know if there was really a word or a term for that back when this book was published i also like i i don't like the idea of just like of like putting frameworks around things while conscious experience is a very fluid and changing process. Yeah. And that, and also like with poetry being a, a, a key part of the conscious experience. Right. Do, do you know what I mean by that? Like, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it is all very poetic. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's like, it's like emotionally electrically charged poetry in that, mm-hmm. like it's this view of the world that like, you know, as an artist, like I, that's the demon I'm exercising when I'm making art and shit. Absolutely. Right. And then that shit needs to come out. Yeah. You gotta walk the dog, dude. Mm-hmm. You gotta walk the fucking dog. Well, that's an outlet that I think a lot of people, especially around this time, didn't have. I noticed exactly. that there were a few cases in this book that were first time mothers. 
Yeah. Who started experiencing symptoms shortly after childbirth. And it's like, I don't really think that postpartum psychosis was understood at this time. But of course, it only makes sense that a first time mother. Huge chemical changes, huge life changes. Just, you know, that's that's some shit. You need a support structure around you caring for you because you're going through something that's not under your control. And like the the information you take in just going through your life has the ability to send you into these loops that are not good that mm-hmm. that, that if the ground is fertile enough through chemistry through fucking situation Right. Or feeling like his parents were dead because, of course, he felt that way. He had just graduated high school and had probably never been away from his parents ever in his life. So when he's taken to this hospital and is in like this weird state and shocked and given these treatments. He's got people caring for him that aren't aren't his his parents parents for the first time. Like what? Yeah, of course. Right. Of course, that's the delusion. There's a lot of signals that are and cross wires that are being totally misfired and you know there's a lot of confusion going on um but he somehow he makes a recovery but like i said i think it's very interesting this idea the conf- it's it says the confusion of the gr- the boy the confusion of the boy grew worse for here he was seeing with his eyes and trusting the message that they conveyed his body was intact Yet at the same time, another sense modality rising from the depths and surface of his body would tell him the contrary. So it's like he's seeing with his eyes, I have a penis. And yet with his brain, he's thinking, no, I don't. And the discrepancy between those is so like vast and oscillating so quickly that it's creating this completely distorted sense of reality that is very distressing for him sure yeah yeah, yeah. where he doesn't know if he's been mutilated or not if he's missing his legs if he still has a body if he's alive if he's dead yeah 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 Yeah. god that sounds like it sucks it's a bad place to be and yet somehow he just gets better well they stopped fucking with yeah this is what happened and moving on god damn they don't have any like follow-ups like how's he doing like five years later no <laughs> it's, it's nice when you can conveniently end a story where you want now i'd like to talk about uh case number five this case is distinguished by two interesting features one is that it is characterized by ideas of references hallucinations and delusions of persecution and silly behavior <laughs> the second feature is the time relation of the disease to a previous childbirth the second feature unique to this case is that the time relation of the disease to a previous childbirth the patient gave birth to a boy on september 20th 1944 and she was first noted to be mentally ill on december 7th of the same year mm. so like i said that postpartum thing um, the comparatively short time between the delivery and subsequent well, mental disease. What year is this? 1944. Well, it's the anniversary of Pearl Harbor. <laughs> <laughs> it was suggested that she was dealing with postpartum psychosis, but that diagnosis was rejected because of the assumedly clear-minded condition of the patient between the delivery and the first manifestation of the symptoms of her mental illness. So basically, she was like too self-aware to be psychotic. I don't know about that. (laughs) It might start off that way sometimes, but it doesn't always end up that way. I mean, me and you are pretty self-aware. 
Yeah, and even, you know, even then. It gets funny sometimes. It sure do. <laughs> the patient is a 30-year-old woman who had two older children. The pregnancies and deliveries were uneventful except for some vaginal hemorrhaging following birth. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uneventful. Just some, some light fucking vaginal hemorrhaging. It's a terrible set of words. <laughs> the patient's husband gave the following report. At the beginning of October, one month after an apparently normal delivery, the patient suddenly began to complain that she couldn't move around and was having backaches and remained in bed. Oh, that complainer, her... Are you fucking kidding me? At the time, the husband paid little attention to these complaints, <laughs> although he now recalls that the same type of complaints had occurred a month or two after the patient's previous delivery. Oh, what are you saying? That pregnancy takes a toll this on This motherfucker body? needs a bullet into the head. I know. Jesus like, Christ. No wonder she's <laughs> fucking stressed out. What? I don't know why my, my wife's all of a sudden a useless cow. She, we have three what? kids and a new a newborn baby, and she's having backaches. What's going on, doctor? What the fuck? Um, yeah, at the end of November, the patient had a hemorrhage um, about which the husband learned nothing for several weeks. You know, I bet he had blown her off so many times before about things that she was complaining yeah, about of having course. to do with her health that she was like, whatever, I guess I'm I'm bleeding and I'm yeah, no, no, he's, he doesn't he's, even care. He's on this shit like, yeah. oh, she, she doesn't know what it's like to really work a day in your life. Yeah. You know, a fucking douchebag. He then left on a business <laughs> trip yeah. and telephoned his wife three days later, but she refused to come to the phone. The same thing happened the next night. At the end of the week, the patient called her husband and painted a very rosy picture of the future and told him a long series of plans that she had made. Her talk was hypomanic. Okay. No, she was blaming herself for the relationship going bad. And yeah. So, yeah. Do you know what I mean? trying to ignore the reality and paint over it by saying, everything's fine. Yeah. Right. We yeah. We do all of these things, even though we have three and kids she was, and I feel like I'm in over Right. And she was, and, pro and she was feeling useless because she was feeling like shit. Right. And so she was putting that on herself and trying to like paint this rosy picture thinking that if she was just better, he would love her more. <laughs> Please come home from your business trip. I got a newborn to take care of. On December 5th. Give her the electrodes. Yeah. <laughs> his hus her husband returned and observed that his wife was behaving in a dreamy and childish way. There was un an unnatural expression of happiness on her face. She smiled inappropriately, her manner of speech vacant. She seemed to be engrossed in her own thoughts. They went to a movie and saw a love story. During the performance, the patient seemed to be living in a dream world. At times, she would smile and then burst into tears without any apparent... She was moved oh by my the God. movie she was watching. She was moved by the movie and assholes. how it related to her own struggles She's with her hormonal. relationship. Like, and it sounds like this dude's an asshole. He he just got home from a business trip. She's happy to see her husband and go on a date with him. And this is the, by the this movie. is the same stretch, right? Yeah. Where she calls him and she's like, she's blaming herself for all this shit. So she's painting this rosy picture because she sensed distance from him too. Mm -hmm. They come back. They go on their first date from having their third fucking kid, and she's dealing with all these very real physical problems. What and and she's she's distant and like fakely happy. Yeah, she's depressed as fucking faking it. Then you go to this movie that deals with it's called a love story. Yeah, she's gonna start crying, dude. That's called being a fucking person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. She explained away her behavior, saying that she was afraid that someone might take advantage of her husband. Yeah. Because he's going away for business trips. Meanwhile, she's popped out a kid and she's probably insecure about her body. Absolutely. 
Like, this is not delusional behavior. Give her the electrodes. Yeah. No, that's um, it, it, this is literally not delusional oh, behavior. Oh, this is the craziest thing fucking so far insane. that he's. This is not a patient. This is a fucking bring her in. Person. Guess what she did that night? She woke him up at four o'clock in the morning and tried to have intercourse with him. Ha- Jesus fucking Christ. That's when he telephoned to call the Institute. <laughs> I'm no, not even kidding. No. I'm not kidding. Oh, my God. This is tragic. This is why we need to talk about this book. This is insane. <laughs> what? She's just struggling after giving birth, dude. That's like, what you do when a relationship is falling apart. She's just trying to get a little nookie. And you know why the relationship's falling apart? Because you're the type of guy to call the fucking hospital when she's trying to fuck you at 4 a.m. Yeah. What is wrong with you? Oh, my God. Uh, and then, okay, after he called the Institute and returned to his wife's bed. Oh, why didn't you know just she was fuck doing? your wife? You know what she was doing? She was crying. Of course he was. I would be daddy one would be crying if you try to fuck your spouse at 4 a.m. And instead you get the mental hospital called on you. Yeah, that's crying material. That's real serious crying material. Yes. What in the living fuck are we talking about here? <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, uh, see, and now this is the point. This is, you know, this is why I'm afraid to show any emotion ever. <laughs> there is a term called there. There is such a thing as reactive abuse, where an abuser pushes someone and pushes their buttons like so hard and they're pushed to a breaking point where eventually oh. they act crazy. Oh, I've been through it. And then that, I've been that person has has the privilege of going see yep. aren't they crazy that is how a very long relationship of mine ended uh and i lost a bunch of friends fuck dude yeah yeah so it was, it was fucking sick so she's at least pushed, i didn't get the hospital called on me. she's pushed to that point he's called the hospital <laughs> and she's looking at her husband and she hits herself in the face and she says yeah i know your secrets yeah he's cheating on her on the business trips and she says i can see everything now i have the power to read your mind because my mind and your mind control our nerves and then she like becomes uh like well now she's actually breaking because you called a fucking hospital on her well uh, yeah now she's like you're trying to get me locked up because i know the truth and you don't want me to like i can see that's a reasonable assumption right yeah (laughs) Honestly, it's probably true. So during this whole time, um, she's sitting on her bed. She's uh, crying. She's calling for help. She's saying that there's a force trying to overpower her. And during this time, she seems to be in contact with her environment. She recognizes the doctor, her husband, her home. But she's also it's described that her expression is very dreamy. And that morning, um, she's admitted to the ward where she complains of confusion and a sense of unreality. Yes. She said, things did not seem real anymore. Of Every- course they don't. Of course they don't. Of she, course they fucking All of a don't. sudden, she's sitting in a hospital. Her when reality she- is entirely different. She just had her third kid, and all of a sudden, she's in a fucking hospital because she tried to bang her husband at 4 a.m. because she was trying to put the spark back in their she fucking she was emotional, yeah. yeah. She's in a new fucking universe, dude. That's right. a new reality, and there is an overpowering force. She said- That's real. Everything looked so peculiar to her, and she couldn't understand the world anymore. No she shit. She saw something in everything, something that wasn't there, something uncertain. Everything looked dreamy. The people on the streets, 
They were just going about dreaming about things that they were missing in their lives, she thought. Okay, so she's having thoughts, too. Yeah. Also. That's it. They, and she's I, projecting her own sense of uncertainty about her future. Like, what is the future of me as a mother? Like, I'm sitting in this hospital. How can I be a mother? How can I be a wife? Who am yeah. I now? What role do I play? Like, and it's also fucking insane to do to a, a new mom and also your wife. Like, so obviously there's confusions about like how the world works and shit. Yeah. So she gets there. Um, she was disoriented about the events that had occurred for like the weeks leading up to her hospitalization, but she was still oriented in time and space. However, she was also, it says, very excited, would cry frequently and constantly pick at her fingers, moving her head about, glancing at everything with a, an anxious look. Why is this not understood to just be a fucking person in the yeah. situation? The second night the patient was in the hospital, she became belligerent. She fought everyone. During that night, she was so excited it became necessary to transfer her to the closed ward and give her large doses of sedatives that were unsuccessful. During this time, she felt that people were attempting to hypnotize her. This filled her with a feeling of unbearable dread. When an old friend of the family came and tried to calm her down, she told him he was a sex fiend and was trying to force her to have intercourse. She said that her children were dead and her husband had been killed. I mean, like, functionally, in her mind, she feels like her family is gone. At like, this she point, doesn't you, have any role in it. Look, listen, at this point, anybody... You can drive anyone crazy. Yeah. This situation at this point would drive anyone crazy. Yeah, she's a broken person. Yeah. And that's the thing, too, is, like, to me... When someone's in a psychotic state, it doesn't mean that like they're gone forever or that it's like irreparable. It just this person was never in a psychotic state. It's an extreme state of stress, right? And but but this case was never. I've ne I have not seen ev any evidence of psychosis until she's in a hospital and being uh, forced into injections and shit against her fucking will. Right. I like, don't know if she's been given any injections yet. But, like, she's stressed out. She's been forcibly institutionalized. Sure. Basically. Like, no, like nothing, her husband called the hospital. Nothing at home was psychosis. No. At all. She just tried to fuck her husband. She was depressed and tried to fuck her husband. That's it. Yeah. And he was like, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> You've been acting weird. Yeah, she has. So, uh, on December 11th, electric shock treatment began. God damn it. After two treatments, the patient was somewhat calmer, but still cloudy. After the third treatment, her cloudiness seemed to clear. She did not mention, and when questioned, denied ideas of reference, but became unreasonable and belligerent. Male patients around the ward complained she was making sexual advances towards them. Yeah, dude, she's fucking, like, that That was the whole thing. Well, now her she's also rejected her out, too. And like, like, why wouldn't you if you're put in this position? Yeah, she just wanted some love. Like, she was just craving some Dude, love at the end of the I, day. If I got like interned in a mental institution against my will and I knew I wasn't getting out and that it was a misunderstanding that was going to destroy me, the shit that would come out of my mouth? Dude. Yeah. Yeah, so she's given her first shock treatment on December 11th. By December 20th, she's now spending most of her time um, like buried underneath blankets, like telling everyone that she just has um, a headache. And this is when the silly behavior starts. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, God. She starts laughing uncontrollably out of God. nowhere, staying in her room all the time. When spoken to, she would just bury her head in her pillow or turn away. After her 
10th treatment, the first signs of improvement appear. She's no longer um, making sexual advances in the, towards the patients. But it's like, why is that an improvement? First of all, in Canada, they have people that are hired to fuck people with mental disabilities because even people with intellectual disabilities need to be fucked. So I'm sorry, is this woman really psychotic if she's just horny while in the in the psych ward? Is that a sign that she's doing better or is she, is she just more sad? I don't know. Like, I, I'm sorry. I got to move to Canada. <laughs> I was going to say I would take that job. <laughs> I, I wasn't looking for a job. You're was, looking for a fuck. Health care. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, but that's her sign of improvement is that she's she's no longer um like hypo manically sexual, I guess. This is all so terrible, dude. And no, it really is. It's pathologizing like normal human behavior. And right. it's it is abnormal because they're placed under extreme stress, but it's do not equivocate this shit. Yeah. Don't fall into that trap here. This is fucking insane. Yes. So, yeah, after her 10th her treatment, the silly laughter, it's still present, but it is less prominent. She's not falling into laughter fits anymore, um, which was not present before she was ever in the hospital, by the way. That, right. That began in the hospital. Around June, um, a peculiar change occurred in her. So this is going back in time, like before her hospitalization. This is while she was pregnant. It was as if her eyes were bad. She said everything appeared a little bit hazy and far away. And she thought at the time that it was her pregnancy affecting her eyes. So she went to an eye specialist, but they found nothing wrong with her. She became fearful and didn't tell anybody, but she thought that there was something wrong with her, with her vision, that there was some disorientation in, in space that was happening to her. She also hardly remembered people that she met during that time because it wasn't just her eyes and her vision that was hazy, but her mind and her recollection. It was like everything during that time and during her pregnancy was shrouded by this fog. So she gives birth in September, right? And she's continuing to keep this a secret. She doesn't want to tell anybody around her because she feels like something really bad is going to happen to her if she tells her family or friends that she's experiencing this shift. Yeah. She feels like and like something bad does happen eventually. But maybe if she had said something sooner, it, it might not have. Who knows? But then again, we're also at a place in time and space that's not equipped to deal with mental health the way that we are now. So around the end of November, and this is leading up to her hospitalization, this is when nothing, this is self-reported, nothing seems real to her anymore. And she was just like confused. She says that she began to see in other people's eyes a longing for things that she had missed in her childhood. Things like love and affection, attention and kindness so she was like projecting these dreamlike fantasies onto other people. These people would appear to her like they were dreaming and she like should, they were in a dream together. She should have started making art because that's that impulse. Yes. Right? Like Absolutely. What the fuck? Like turn that into songwriting, turn that into collage. We all have like, those impulses. We all have those thoughts and shit. You just make art with it. That's what mm -hmm. you got to do. But this is when Around the beginning of December, she starts to hear voices and the voices are telling her about her husband and about the true nature of what her husband is up to when he's at work. Mm. 
and stuff. It, I wish it had more details, but it says the nature of her husband's research. I don't know what her husband's job was. Right. <laughs> but wait, th- this is the same case study, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're just getting more self-reported background. Like, so the whole like love story thing, it makes sense why it so deeply affected her because she's looking for, like she said, these things she missed in her childhood, love, affection, attention, kindness. She's searching for that within the faces of other people because her husband's not around. He's off on these business trips. This is all so normal. Like, I mean, hearing, I don't hear, I, I don't hallucinate voices, but like, I know people who do and they're fucking normal as shit. It's fine. Yes. Like now she also says when she later came out of this, um, when she wouldn't let anybody see her face and was covering herself with blankets, she said it's because she felt like her eyes, she, she felt like her eyes had the power to show other people an aspect of herself that she didn't want them to see. It was too vulnerable. Oh, I understand that, that impulse. Yeah, absolutely. Like she thought that, she was afraid yeah. that if people looked her straight in the eyes, they could see things about her that she didn't want them to see and was too embarrassed. Yeah, of. yeah, yeah. yeah. I and that's totally that reasonable. Like yeah. she would rather them have the image of her under the blanket than to see her pained expression and yeah. to see the distant look in her eyes. I often have a, a hard time with eye contact with, with people. And yeah, especially and if you're in pain. And like, that's a good way of describing the feeling. You know, it's a vulnerability thing. Um, yeah, it says... Um, I hate it because, like, I know I should look people in the eye because it seems shifty, but, like, it's hard sometimes. Well, at least you're aware of it. Too aware. Yeah. <laughs> the patient's recovery was uneventful and complete. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> I don't know why that makes me angry. Yeah, again, just a, a very unsatisfactory you. conclusion. It's like, well, I guess she just it, got dude, better. It makes me angry because there's no understanding of the person. There's no humanity there. Right. It's like, well, I guess we just shocked her with it's stuff and then so she magically got better. Mechanized. I guess we did a good job. But really, it doesn't seem like there's any care to actually fucking understanding like that there's a person in yeah. there. And to me, that's kind of what the four of cups represents is absolutely like the scientific absolutely. attitude towards. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, the yeah. cloud is right there behind you being like, here's the answer. You just gotta give them a little empathy. Right. You just got to understand their lives a little bit. And then it's like, the no, I just need some cracked. fucking space. Like, yeah. just, like, let me think for a fucking minute. Right. Like yeah. she just needed to go to the psych ward a little bit. Like, like maybe things, mind maybe then... things aren't fucking groovy right now. And like, let me figure that out. Don't fucking take yeah. me to the psych ward at 4 a.m. for trying to fuck you, dude. These are often people that need a break from their lives in order to find a way back to their lives. Maybe their lives aren't great. Yeah. Maybe they got forced into a fucking marriage because, you know, contraception wasn't necessarily what it was, what it is now, right? Maybe fucking, maybe, maybe societal pressures made them make bad fucking choices. Maybe they were afraid. Maybe all these reasons they ended up in an unnatural situation and they're trying to figure out why do I feel so fucking bad? Right. Hit them with the electrodes. I know. (laughs) Fuck, dude. And it is like... That's the thing. It's like, how do you treat a perceptual disease? Because what it is, is these people have pathological disillusionment with their life that is now presenting itself in a way that can no longer be ignored and has shattered their reality. So they have to end up in a hospital because they simply cannot exist in their lives the way that it has been going. I mean, it's not working anymore. Like, for example, like you've seen my own struggles with depression and shit. And like, 
you know, when I say that, like, a lot of times the only fucking way you can express that is through poetry. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Poetry, like, art, song. You, you have to express it in this abstracted way. You can't. It's it's different than I feel sad. It's so much different. Yeah. And Absolutely. Like, and when I hear these fucking stories, it's the pathologizing of that natural fucking one of the primary ways in which we communicate how we explain unexplainable things. Right. And that's that like fucking mid 20th century mechanization. Yes. The, uh, the, it's what Norbert Wiener was terrified of Mm -hmm. when he uh, published cybernetics. Yeah. Right. Like that's that bad shit. When I was going through my, you know, nervous breakdown in November, I remember sitting outside of the emergency room in the parking lot And having a moment, like half an hour, sitting there with my partner talking about, do I go in or not? Because if I go in, I understand I'm going to be slapped with an irreversible diagnosis that probably isn't going to help me. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what I need, but I'm not sure it's a hospitalization. I'm glad we're here. It's an option, but let's think about this before we do it, because that's actually not what I needed. What I needed was to come home and to have some friends come over and be around me and take care of me for a few days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... And that's what all these fucking people need. Right. I needed to talk to other people that understood my experience and had similar experiences and had gotten through to the other side. And that gave me the context to understand what I was dealing with. The the delusions that I had were very much related to aspects of my life that I wasn't dealing with. Thinking that, for example, like, oh, I'm going to be kidnapped. Well, that's an escape fantasy. That's because I want to get away from my life, you know? Or whatever. That's one way of interpreting it. Right. So I'm thinking about the Four of Cups right now. I don't know if this is if if it's time for that. It can be. I'm thinking about like the Four of Cups is like you've got this disembodied hand handing this dude mm-hmm. a cup, and that cup can be seen as like a treatment, a drug, or something, right? Right. I didn't and even bring like, up carbogen therapy. He also did carbon dioxide therapy, where he would give people near death experiences in order to try to help them get better. Jesus. Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. When it's like, really, I think what these people might have needed is just some connection. I mean, yeah. that uh, Art making? That's what I'm, creativity, that's what I'm getting at to talk here. to? Yeah. That, that got it? That's what I'm, that's what I'm getting to yep. here is like, this disembodied hand is handing this treatment to this person. Yeah. When in reality, that person just needs the person behind the hand to go sit with them for a bit. Yeah. That's it. Just like some understanding like, hey, we're all in this together. Like, we all have weird thoughts. Mm -hmm. We're all dissatisfied. This shit feels weird to all of us. It always has. It's part of the human fucking condition. And, like, when you break down those boundaries of, like, authority or, like, the person in the role versus the the subject scientist fucking subject doctor fucking relationship, you break that shit down and it's just like, hey, we're just stupid fucking monkeys. Right. Maybe we can sit next to each other and just talk about how, you know, how hard this shit is. Absolutely. Maybe that should be the first line fucking treatment. Mm-hmm. The fuck? And I guess it is now, but like, I don't know. All those mid 20th century medical stories just make me so fucking angry. I don't know. And for good reason. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I was going to say unreasonably angry, but it's not unreasonable at all. It's really horrifying. And if we had more time, I would have gone into more case studies, but I'm sure that like, if you're interested in this, you can source it. And they are very interesting to read. Yeah, 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 yeah. I personally have a hard time reading them. Mm-hmm. They just start the vein in my forehead starts popping out <laughs> and shit. 
I, I feel a, a deep empathy when I hear stories about people. And it, Likewise, you know, that's what draws me to it. Yeah, yeah. It's because I, I know what that feels like to feel like. You're I, less of a coward than I am. So you, you, you know, you is can this a dream? This. Is this real life? Oh, sometimes the boundaries get blurred a little bit and that gets really scary. So yeah, it's interesting to me to learn about like, what is what's done with that? I've gone through periods where, you know, you just get like hit with like a synchronicity shit storm. And I'm pretty good at dealing with that shit. Mm -hmm. But like, I understand that. I just kind of let it roll off my fucking skin. That's the good way to, to be. Yeah. Like I've got other concerns, you know, that's why I do. Like, I often feel like, I don't know if this is a dream. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's going on here. This is all weird as shit. If it is, you have a role in creating it. Or whatever. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just here. We right? Like this is just what's happening. Right. Yeah. I don't. So, but like, I have a lot of weird thoughts about like what's going on. I just, I don't know. I just roll with it. And I have friends who support me. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, I know I'm not alone. And you have to imagine in the 1950s and the 1940s, you start experiencing this weird shit. Everything gets all wavy. And you didn't even do any drugs to get there. Who do you have to talk about that with? Well, so it's very alienating. So the this is that's the dark side of that, like Norbert Wiener cybernetics shit. The, mm -hmm. the positive side is that and I, I do believe it's a direct uh, outgrowth of the same forces that led to like these case studies and electroconvulsive right. therapy is that friend groups and friends are more comfortable talking about their minds now. Yeah. More comfortable being vulnerable about the way they think. That's the light side of the same exact thing. Right. The light side is that it's shown me that we have come a long way in terms of the support networks that we have to talk about these things. Yeah. And yeah, to yeah, understand yeah. these states of mind. And I think it would be a mistake to think that like, um, you know, earlier centuries and shit were any better at dealing with that shit. Or even that we've perfected it now, because we certainly haven't. We're still a long way from understanding how the mind works. Right. Although what I breaks a mind. I do think there may be a chance that a more strictly poetic treatment, I guess. Yeah. Uh, framework for understanding things. I, I think that's likely more beneficial than the mid twentieth century psychiatry. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I think we did do shit better before the twentieth century than we did in in this slice there mm -hmm. it's also about recognizing the validity of that mythopoetic uh method of treatment religious method of treatment perhaps right um it has fucking value because you don't you shouldn't fucking just think of people as machines or as test subjects as test subjects as strictly behaviorist fucking agents right, right? like Oh, we do, we do have to cover behaviorism and fucking what's his ass? Oh, we sure do. Yeah, what's his fucking ass? Uh, behavior of organisms. Uh, B.F. Skinner. That's the one. We got to cover B.F. Skinner. Well, folks, if you like what we do, we do have a Patreon. We do. You'll get access mm. to our bonus show. Do, hmm, do they get electroshocks if they join or if they don't? <laughs> <laughs> Depends which one you like more. Yeah, actually, you know what? It's up to you if you join. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do have a bonus series called The Corkboard Bazaar. We have an episode this week. and Yes, this week we will, we will be talking about... What are we doing? A man who was subjected to mind control programming through Disneyland and... Fuck yeah. Mormonism and... It'll, oh no. Yeah, well, we're going to explore his website. Dude, Mormon shit? We've never really gone into Oh, Mormon it's shit. dark. I don't even want to, but... His website is too juicy to ignore, so yeah. we're going to be looking at that on our bonus series. Is Mormonism free masonry for children? 
Yes. I think so. I think it is. Great sci-fi, though. Well, Absolutely. So, yeah. We also have a Discord server. Everybody's hanging out in there, having conversations, doing experiments. Get access to that and the Corkboard Bazaar starting at just $5 a month at patreon.com slash the nonsense bazaar. Do you know how many weeks in a row I've said this is the week I'm going to bring in the Patreon list for shoutouts? Yeah, it's... Um, it's Folks, it's literally not a bit. It'll happen. We're that point. stupid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Take care, guys. Peace. Peace.